This is Brain Diet, episode number 136. I love so much focusing on the food we feed our body, but I love even more focusing on the stuff we feed our brain. My name is Taylor Ann Macy, and I am a certified life coach. Welcome to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain the best information. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Our topic today, what to quit and what to start for weight loss. What prompted this was some casual scrolling through social media and seeing a lot of fear-inducing information, kind of the fear-mongering approach to health and weight loss. And in addition to that, a lot of very hyper-focused and very nuanced information, such as focus on this one chemical, because this is going to be the most important thing for your health. And in the grand scheme of tiers of importance. Maybe there is a space for things like that. But I think far too often, we focus on the microscopic, really nuanced information, and we fail to look at the bigger picture of our health, and what it is that we are missing in the much more influential areas. And so when we are constantly presented with information like that, I thought, you know, I think it's worth doing an episode giving two basic components to what I think would be highly influential in your health and in your weight if you quit doing these two things and if you started doing these two things. So the first portion of this, I have one thing to quit and the thing to start instead is the mindset portion. All of the things that are happening inside your brain. And then the second thing to quit and the second thing to start is related to actual action you are taking. So let's get into it. The first thing that for your weight loss, for your health long-term that I would recommend quitting is listening to your brain's initial offering. Now, here's what I mean by this. We are presented with information. We're presented with whether it's the number on the scale or whether the information of what we see in the mirror. And our brain initially offers some type of dialogue, some string of thoughts about that information. Generally, what is initially offered leads us to feel negatively. Generally, it is more critical than positive. And this happens from a lack of guidance, from a lack of structure in our minds, which I will get more to, because we have many very nuanced parts to our brain. I do not claim to be an expert in the brain, in the science of it all. But when it comes to mental health, I do see a lot of minds and how they work. And I have done a lot of learning and how our brains work. And the way that I like to think about it, the way that resonates with me the most is, and actually I just thought of this as I'm sitting here, 
the way that I like to think about the brain is actually what my son brought home from kindergarten last week. He brought home a worksheet that was teaching him about his brain, which just made me so happy. I believe that education is just going in the right direction. And it just was so fun to see this five-year-old learning about his brain and about how it works. And the way that it was explained to him, which is the same way I understand it, is we have essentially two or three different parts of our brain, but I want to focus just on two for today. And we have the prefrontal cortex. Now on this worksheet, it said, this is what thinks toward the future. This is the part of our brain that can plan. This is the part of our brain that is a critical thinker. And then we also have the habit portion of our brain. Now, what was the animal that they described that they compared it to? I don't remember, like a monkey brain or something. And that monkey part of our brain is what raises the alarm. Now, that alarm part of our brain is generally the loudest. And if we don't supervise it, then it is what can take over. If we don't supervise it with the higher thinking part of our brain, with our prefrontal cortex, then that monkey brain, that lower primal part of our brain can become a lot louder and can become the dominant voice in our mind. So what happens is when we are presented with these situations, with the number on the scale, with what we see in the mirror, that primal brain, that monkey brain that is loud and critical, that is on the lookout for threats and problems, offers up an initial string of thoughts about it, an initial interpretation of things. Now, this part of our brain is brilliant because of how it looks for threats and problems. It is meant to keep us alive. However, it can often find threats and problems in places where there really aren't any. Meaning when you see yourself in the mirror and maybe you don't like the way that you look, your brain is going to deem that as a very substantial threat, where if you followed the thread, it could be because if you don't look good, then you won't be accepted. And if you're not accepted by other people, then you'll be shunned from the tribe. And if you're shunned from the tribe, then you can't survive because we like to survive and we thrive amongst other people. And while that might not be the exact thread for everyone, I think that it does boil down to that to some degree. It is a survival. It is a acceptance mechanism. We have this part of our brain that looks out for threats and problems relating to that. So then what happens is our brain just offers these, oh, this is a problem. We see ourselves in the mirror. This is a problem. This is a threat. Something is really wrong with this. And just because your brain offers that doesn't mean that it's true. It's not offering it because it's true. It's not offering it because it's a fact. It's doing it because it's either practiced or it's just on the extreme lookout for threats and problems. This is why when we overeat, when we binge, our brain makes it moral. It assigns morality to our behavior as if something is wrong with us for what we've done because we're saying, if we do this, this must be a problem, right? This really is bad. Something is wrong with us that we're doing this. When in reality, your brain offering that interpretation of how you behave is just your brain operating in the same way without having been taught anything different. So when you have those initial offerings from your brain, those initial interpretations of your body, of your weight, of your health, don't necessarily think that it is bound as truth. It really is just that initial offering coming from a very specific part of the brain that probably up until now has just gone unsupervised. By that same token, we don't need to feel bad when our old thinking comes up. 
Meaning, let's say that you have been creating some awareness around these monkey brain offerings that come up when you see yourself in the mirror, and you've done a lot of work to maybe think something differently and to be more in charge of your brain. That doesn't mean that those old thinking patterns aren't going to come up because it's very practiced. And so when those thought patterns come up, be sure not to turn the volume on them up even more by being like, oh no, why am I thinking these thoughts? This must be a terrible thing. I must do something about this. Because once you can realize, you know what, this is just a very practiced part of my brain, those thoughts themselves immediately have less power. And this really is what's missing from a lot of diets out there is creating a different mental and emotional space around dieting and not just trying a new diet. And this is a lot of what I do in my private program with my clients is we work through all of the nutritional pieces. It's very important and it's something that I think is really fun, honestly, to learn about and to empower yourself with. However, no matter how much you learn, no matter how many new things you try, if you still have this monkey brain dialogue that is threatening, that is critical, that is negative, it will make the entire experience miserable and you will want to run away from it. You won't want to diet because of all of the negativity that you're just swimming in when you're not working through it. So that's something that I really emphasize in my program with my clients. Something to remember is that this part of your brain, this primal brain, this monkey brain, the habit brain, there are lots of different names for it, but this lower part of our brain, it will never generate new thinking. It really believes that what it offers is helpful. When your brain is being really critical, it is trying to do so in an attempt to keep you alive. It really believes it's useful. So we can't blame our brain for doing that. It's kind of like when my kids try to help me with the dishes and they just end up getting the entire kitchen floor wet. They really were trying to be helpful and they did more damage than they did help. But I can look at it and be like, I can see you're trying to be helpful and I appreciate it. Does that mean I'm going to keep having you soak the kitchen floor? No, I'm going to supervise you and maybe redirect your energy somewhere that's a little bit more constructive. But I can see that even though there's a lot of destruction, they were just trying to be helpful. And the same goes for our brain. It really is genuinely trying to be helpful. And in a way, it's trying to get your attention. When you are on the scale or looking in the mirror and it perceives a threat, it's trying to get your attention because it's been effective when it's mean or when it's critical. It gets your attention and it creates an emotional response in your body and you respond. And so, of course, when your brain is like, hey, I'm trying to get your attention and it works when I'm really mean or critical, I'm going to keep doing that. And in a way, it's your brain saying, hey, what you're doing, the way that you look, the number on the scale, your overeating patterns, this doesn't seem like it's in alignment with our goals. But it's saying it in a much more aggressive, critical way. And unfortunately, it is not accomplishing the desired intention, which is to keep us alive and to help us thrive. It just brings us down and prevents us from taking the action that we want to take. But the brain's logic is this doesn't align with what we want for ourselves and we want to achieve our goals in a certain way. And when I'm mean and critical, that does seem to get our attention and it does create a response. And this is one thing that I want you to consider because our brain might really think the best way to get our attention is through mean and critical ways. But I heard this from um, a friend, excuse me, a friend of mine. And I thought it was really powerful to think about is Think about how many people have altered your life so badly and completely changed the trajectory of your life. Like think about how many people 
in your life fit into that category. And then think about how many people have been so kind to you and altered your life so dramatically for the better. For me, and I think for most of us, the ratio is pretty substantial with a significant, significantly higher amount of people that have been kind and altered our life for the better versus those that have altered our life so badly and changed the trajectory in the wrong way. And what's interesting is this took me back to an experience when I was in preschool. I had these Winnie the Pooh um, boots and I wore them to preschool and there was someone that, his name was Scott, (laughs) and he started to make fun of these boots and was saying some really mean things. And as a three-year-old, that was something that was very traumatizing. I think I may have even mentioned this on the podcast before. It's a silly experience, but it's one that stuck with me, right? As a three-year-old, four-year-old, having this experience with this boy making fun of my boots was a little bit traumatizing. But then what happened is as much as that was traumatizing, I went home and I had a mom and a dad who were there to hold space for me, to love me, to help me work through my feelings. I had siblings that were kind that had my back. I had people in my neighborhood. I had other friends at school that were also so influential in helping me become the person that I want to be and to navigate the people that maybe aren't so kind. And I think that it is abundantly clear that those that are kind to us are much more abundant and can help us create much more of the results that we want. Those that are kind to us help us be our best self. We are encouraged to be who we want to be because of those that alter our life for the better versus those that are so mean and change the trajectory of our trajectory of our life so badly. I don't think that anyone is positively motivated to really make a change in response to those people. In fact, we just go even more into like survival mode and willpower mode. And so as you consider the effect of those people on your life, I want you to consider that you are that own version in your own mind. And as much as it might seem very useful to be so critical and mean to yourself, it's not going to have the effect that you want. It's not going to push you to be better. What's going to push you to be better is to have your own back and to be so kind that you can alter your life dramatically for the better in the same way that many people that you can think of in this moment have done for you. So that leads us to what we start doing. If we need to quit listening to our brain's initial offering, what we need to start doing is teaching our brain to think something different. And this is going to require some self-awareness to pay attention to what you're thinking in the first place. Because what you can do is pay attention to what you're thinking and then redirect and guide your brain. And a great exercise to do this is to stand in front of a mirror naked, or at least in a state that you are comfortable with, but does elicit a little bit of a response from your mind. And you might feel some discomfort, some anxiety, that's good. Because what can happen is you can do this deliberately to bring up all of the negative thoughts about yourself. When you can really lay yourself bare literally in front of a mirror for your brain to have thoughts about and be ready to pay attention to it, you're like, oh, okay, now I can see all of the thoughts that I'm thinking about my body, all of the feelings that are coming as a result of those thoughts, and I can have them at the forefront of my awareness. Because then once you decide to bring that up on purpose, you then have a chance to teach your brain to think something different. Now, maybe you stand in front of the mirror 
and you hate your body. And the idea of thinking something different, like I love my body is really very far away. And that's okay. Our job isn't to go from A to Z. Our job is just to simply teach our brain to think something different, to use that prefrontal cortex to illustrate to our brain and to ourselves that we are the ones in charge and not this monkey brain that up until now might have been the loudest noise. And so to be able to look at your body and have all of these negative thoughts, what I recommend is I have, I have an episode on body image that I highly recommend listening to, but the, I go in depth into this idea of getting to a neutral space, meaning your brain is going to want to have negative opinions about certain parts of your body and whatever part of your body, your brain is offering a very negative opinion about you then replace with the actual neutral fact of what that body part is. For example, I have a really fat stomach is might be an opinion that your brain offers when you stand in front of the mirror. So then you redirect and guide your brain and go to a space of, I have abdominal muscles. I have skin. I have tissue. And underneath all of that, I have a stomach. I have a colon. I have kidneys. I have a liver to just get so neutral because just in that moment, you have shifted from the opinion of your brain to thinking about the facts of your body. You have shifted and redirected and guided your brain to think something different, to think different thoughts, to think in a different way. And when you think in different ways, you will feel differently. But that's something that we have to teach ourselves to do. And oftentimes being in a constructive environment and bringing up all of your negative thoughts on purpose is a great place to do that because it forces you to just be in the forefront of your awareness and to not shove it away. Another thing that I want to address is when it comes to weight loss, something that people will commonly think on some level, whether it's really conscious or subconscious, is that when I reach my weight loss goal, it will be better. It'll be better there than it is here. And we think that everything will be so much happier when we get to that number on the scale or that size of dress or pant. And What I want to remind you of, which really is such great news, is that wherever you are in your life, you will always have the duality of emotion. Meaning that when your brain thinks, oh, it'll be so much better there than it is here, where you are now, you feel a lot of positive and a lot of negative. And then where you get to that number on the scale, you will also feel positive and you will also feel negative. It will just be different. Because what happens is you might get to that number on the scale and you might feel proud. Granted, it's from the way that you're thinking, but we're feeling proud because we've reached the number. But then you also, throughout the journey of weight loss and sometimes to maintain it, you have to feel FOMO. You also might have to feel the discomfort of saying no to certain foods that before you would have ordinarily said yes to. There are many trade-offs to weight loss and your ability to choose emotions on purpose is what puts you in control. Meaning, I know it won't be better there than it is here, but I want to be there because I'm willing to choose the emotion of discomfort, having to say no, of having to feel like I miss out for the sake of the health that I want. Because if you can choose discomfort on purpose and choose fear of missing out and any other negative emotions that come with being at the weight you want to be at, then once you get there, you won't feel like it's happening to you. You feel like it will serve a purpose because saying no and being uncomfortable and maybe upsetting other people will serve the purpose of you having the health that you want and you feeling good in your body physically. 
There is good and bad to every stage. And a lack of confidence now isn't changed by the scale. It's changed by the way that you talk to yourself. So many of us think if I just look differently, then I will feel more confident. But confidence is an emotion that we create based on how we think. And so we can create confidence now with thinking new thoughts, with redirecting and guiding our brain to think something different. And so we will always have the duality of emotion, but that doesn't mean that some emotions aren't available to us because we don't have a certain circumstance. So in a roundabout way, it's never better there than here. We will always have the duality of emotions and you get to choose the emotions that you feel based on how you think. So if you think you'll feel confident when you get to that number on the scale, when you get to that pant size, I want to challenge you and think, if you felt confident now based on how you thought, what might that sound like in your mind? And how would you show up relative to your goals if you were feeling confident now? If you wanted to lose 50 pounds and felt confident starting right now and not a moment later, how would you approach everything? An additional way to teach your brain to think something different is to ask useful questions. And I have an important episode on that, episode 128, questions you have when you're losing weight that I go in depth into this topic as well. But just as our brain is very practiced at thinking certain things, our brain is also really good at looking for what we ask it to look for. It's the idea of this confirmation bias. If you look for reasons why people are mad at you, you will find them. And if you look for reasons why people love you, you will find them. And so we have to be the ones in charge of our brains by asking useful questions. Meaning when you stand on the scale and you think to yourself, why isn't this working? your brain is going to go to work finding answers. So in order to teach your brain to think something different, you must ask useful questions. Something as simple as, why is this working? Okay, maybe the scale hasn't changed, but why is what I'm doing working? Because you ask yourself that question and you will find answers. Another thing that is important to recognize, coming back to the idea of emotions and the duality of it, is with that primal brain, that lower part of our brain, if that is what's loud enough, we might only allow ourselves to feel that bad side. We might only entertain the worst case scenario and all of the criticism that we have of ourselves. So though we may not ever get rid of that entirely, we can absolutely turn the volume down drastically with how we teach our brain. But even if it is in your mind, be deliberate in giving equal airtime to the good side as well. When you stand on the scale and no matter how much work you have or have not done on your mind, you might have some thoughts that drive negative feelings come up for you. And that's okay. Again, we don't want to blame our brain for doing that. But when that happens, give at least as much time to the other side of things as to why it is working, why nothing has gone wrong. How did I do a great job today? It would be so much more powerful and influential to have both tracks playing in your mind, the bad and the good, than simply having one. If you only had the one track playing of negativity, of criticism, of worst case scenario, of problem, threat, alarm raising, it would make sense that you would feel terrible all the time and would not be motivated to continue when things got hard. So those are the two mental pieces. The first being quit listening to the first thing your brain offers and to start teaching your brain to think differently. Now we're shifting gears. The next thing that I want you to quit for weight loss is starting diet extremes without having the foundation in place. 
What I see is many people try to vacuum before they've picked up everything off the floor. They have a floor covered in toys and clothes and garbage, and they try to vacuum over it before they've picked everything up. Now, they might be able to like willpower their way through and suck up a few small toys, but it is going to give out at some point. Jumping into a full-blown diet overhaul or extreme change without having just simple lifestyle factors in place, it will only last for so long. And it's something that is very fleeting and just isn't as effective for what we want for ourselves. So this can happen for two reasons. We can jump into these extreme, like major overhauls for two reasons. The first being because we're in a hurry. We are in a hurry, going back to what I said, to feel more confident, to be more happy with ourselves, to like ourselves better. And as long as we believe that, no matter how much the scale changes, we won't necessarily achieve anything different because we won't have changed the dialogue in our mind. Not to mention that feeling urgency, feeling a sense of urgency in your body is not helpful for weight loss because in a way, urgency can act as somewhat of a fight or flight response. And if you think about how the cortisol levels are raised and you're kind of in a an intense space when you're in fight or flight, that is not very conducive to a body letting go of fat or letting go of weight. So if we are in a hurry, urgency, need to get this done so I can feel better type of place, that is where there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And that's a lot of the work that I do in my practice with my clients is we figure out how to achieve their goals and not feel like it's so urgent all the time. And this is why having a coach can be really helpful is because oftentimes we can't even see the forest through the trees because we're so just stuck in our own brains with what we're thinking and how we're just feeling so urgent. We don't really know what to do with it. So having a coach can be very helpful with this. The second reason that people will start diet extremes without having a foundation in place is they want as little effort exerted and as little awareness required in order to still get results. It's kind of like, I just want to like not have to think about it, but I also want to get massive change. And then after it's done, I just want to go back to what I was doing before. And anyone that has this mentality, there isn't a real desire for change. It's just kind of wanting to have your cake and eat it too. You just want a different set of circumstances so you can like yourself better. People just want to do this as a way of like using willpower to just muscle their way through something. And when we use willpower in this way, we are working against ourselves. We have a desire for something and we are pushing against it. We are willpowering against it. And we aren't addressing the desire itself. We are simply just working against ourselves until we run out of strength. And this is what we do in these cases where we just start like extreme diet changes or cleanses. We are just working against ourselves until that energy runs out versus becoming someone who's genuinely different, becoming someone who genuinely wants to take care of themselves in whatever way. So all that to say, if you don't have these foundational pieces in place, I'm not going to recommend that you start any type of dietary change for that matter. So that leads me to the final piece is what we start doing then. What is the foundation if we need to have it in place before we change our diet? And those four foundational pieces will do more for your health in the long run than any 12-week cleanse, meal plan, et cetera. So these things are as follows. 
Number one, drink water. Every day, half your body weight in ounces plus 15 ounces if you've worked out. It is fascinating to me how many people will start a brand new diet and not drink any water. Like it it blows my mind that people will jump into keto and then still be completely lacking in hydration. It's like, it it just is mind blowing to me, but alas, it happens. So that's the first piece is drink water. If you don't drink at least that amount of water in a day, then don't start any new diet. Work on drinking your water because drinking water and having that hydration is going to be conducive to every other useful process in your body. The second foundational piece is to walk 10,000 steps a day. Is 10,000 the magic number? No, it's arbitrary. But the point is somewhere in that range of getting our bodies moving is really beneficial for us. And it's something that our bodies were meant to do. We were meant to walk. And it's really good for stress levels. It's really good for circulation. It's really good for digestion. And all of those things compounding together are better for your health and better for weight loss. The third thing is sleep. Going to bed and waking up at the same time within an hour every day. I think this is the one that I see people struggle with the most is having a consistent bedtime, getting a consistent amount of sleep and waking up at the same time all week long. Those functions and repair that happens while we are sleeping is so vital to our health and vital to our weight loss efforts if that's something that we want. And yet people will completely trash their sleep hygiene and then they'll start this new diet. And it's like, well, you know, you're not really cleaning up all the crap on the floor before you're vacuuming, okay? The fourth piece, the fourth foundational piece that I would always recommend having in place before you start any type of diet is to be able to eat slowly and stop when you're full. I'm always really surprised at how many of us struggle with this. And it makes perfect sense because we have so many different things coming at us that can influence this. It can be really powerful to simply focus on this, to eat slowly, to not have distractions, to not be watching a show, to not be looking at your phone, and then to stop when you're full. Connecting with your body in this way, that alone can often lead to weight loss. Your ability to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full If people really did that consistently, a lot of people have success losing weight just by doing that. Because oftentimes we are so out of sync and out of, um, we aren't paying attention to our hunger and fullness signals that we're all out of whack. And so it makes sense why our weight might not be where we want it to be because we simply aren't able to stop when we're full. Now, again, it's a much more large puzzle, but that's a big piece that we got to have in place first. We have to be able to feel those signals within our bodies. All of these things, water, walking, sleeping, eating slowly, and stopping when we're full. I mean, those are really simple things. And yet, people overlook those things and say, you know what? This 12-week keto diet is going to be the answer to my problems. This new app that's going to give me all my meal plans is going to be the answer to my problems. And those things can be useful. There is a place for them. But please do not start those before you get these other pieces in place. Those foundational pieces will do so much more for you than any of these other quick turnaround diets. So those are the things that that are top of mind for me that I want to share with you today to quit listening to that initial offering from your brain and to start teaching your brain to think differently and to quit starting diet extremes without having the foundations in place. And then 
to start getting those four foundational pieces in place for yourself to drink water, to walk, to sleep, have good sleep hygiene, to eat slowly and stop when you're full. These all need to be dialed in before you start anything. And when you they are dialed in, you will have so much more success with any of the efforts that you put in place after that. Now, one last thing I want to mention before I sign off for today is we are into October and I am offering a free pre-holiday prep call. I am offering four of those per week through the month of October where we can set up exactly how to navigate the holidays without this anxiety about your weight that kind of slaps you in the face come January. It's going to be something that's really helpful to have in place, but is as simple as some of these foundational pieces that I have just referenced is just getting a few of those things in place can make the holidays so much easier and so much less anxiety inducing about our weight once they're over. So if you're interested in signing up for one of those calls, they are free and private with me. The link for that is in the show notes. So that's all I have for you, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. Are you ready to lose weight, but you don't know where to start? I have something for free that can help. Here at Brain Diet, I offer a free set your custom macros call. On this call, I'll want to know what your goals are and set you on the nutritional path to achieving them. This is a private call with me where I get all the information about you and your body so I can deliver a custom calorie and macronutrient count that when implemented will lead to weight loss in a kind and nourishing way. And if you're ready to hire a coach to walk you through every step of your weight loss journey, I'll tell you everything you need to know about that too. So if it's your time to start losing weight in a sustainable, healthy, and nourishing way, sign up for this free set your custom macro call at the link in the show notes. I'll see you soon. Thank you.